So as I said earlier, we are working our way through the book of Acts. If you want to um, grab a Bible in front of you, if you want to follow along, you can turn to the book of Acts. Feel free to use the uh, table of contents to get you where you need to go. We're going to start in Acts chapter 13. So Acts is the history of the early church. So for those of you who may be just joining us, um, it goes something like this. Jesus came along and he essentially, uh, his message was, I want you to love people, I want you to live a certain kind of way. And then he said that I'm, I've come uh, to serve and to lay down my life as a ransom. That's in Mark 10. And that ransom idea means, you know, payment for release. And so what his real message was, I am going to pay your death penalty for you. So the things that separate you from God, um, I'm going to pay for that so that you don't have to live your life trying to be good enough. God loves you. I'm paying for the difference. You live free and incorporate my lifestyle of love into your life and your eternity begins now. That was good news or the gospel. And so Acts is the story of the early followers of Jesus taking this brand new concept of connection with God through a ransom that's been paid on our behalf, taking that into the world and and spreading the Jesus lifestyle. So that's the book of Acts. And we're at a place in Acts where the church is about to, or this message of Jesus, is about to explode throughout the known world. Paul's going to begin. Paul is a prominent figure in the book of Acts, and he's going to begin these missionary journeys where he starts churches throughout the Roman Empire. Many of these places were completely unknown to Jesus. Or Jesus was completely unknown to the people there. Let me say that a little different. Um, So we're going to see the results today of what you could call a kingdom mindset. And I'll explain what that means over the course of our our talk today. Uh, We'll see what happens when people truly stop living for themselves and start pouring themselves out to others. And we'll see that on different levels. So uh, we're going to look at Acts 13 to start. And and we're going to look at at what these Christians accomplished and hopefully what we can accomplish ourselves if we can develop a kingdom kind of mindset. We'll figure out how it applies to our life. So, so let's talk about being kingdom-minded. Um, Jesus' very first message, we read about it in Matthew chapter 4. He's beginning his ministry, and his very first talking point was, it, the, the, the Bible way to say it is, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his first talking point. What that really means is, change your life. Because God's way of doing things is here. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to listen to my lifestyle and change your life around it. So that was called the kingdom of God or the rule of God. And Jesus said it's a lifestyle. So when we talk about being kingdom-minded, we're, we're talking about building ourselves around this kind of lifestyle that Jesus brought. And the kingdom of God is completely opposite of the way the world works. So the world says, like, get, get, get. Uh, build up your safety. Take it as far as you can for you. 
live secure, die with the most toys, however you want to say it, that's the world mindset. The kingdom mindset is opposite. It's be generous, love people, give outwardly, give yourself away over the course of your life. That's the kingdom mindset. The best way that I can illustrate it is, is like driving. Like there's, I'm two different kinds of driving when, when, I'm, when I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm either... Like, picture yourself, it's like, it's rush hour, you're maybe morning commute, maybe you just got to get, you know, somewhere, a decent drive, 20 miles or so, and, and it's traffic-y, and you can go one of two ways. You can either be on the road for you, or you can be a generous driver, right? And I'm both of those at different times, but, like, when I'm out there for me, I'm white-knuckled and, and just angry, like if I'm on a four-lane road and, and two lanes going that way and I'm at a stoplight, I'm judging the make and model of the cars to see which one to get behind, who's going to get out first. If, if somebody's in the right lane at a stop sign but they're at a stoplight and they're not turning right, they're going straight, that person's an idiot because I could be turning right if they would have just got in the left lane because they're going straight. And, and, I mean, you know how you're passing on the right to gain one car length, and you're, you're generally you're miserable. Other times, it's like generous Alex. You know, I'm letting people in. I'm stopping on yellow so a car can learn, turn left, you know, in front of me. Uh, and, and, and now, I'm generally much less stressed, much more, you know, peaceful. I may get somewhere a few seconds later driving. But, but the, So when we talk about being kingdom-minded, we're talking about an approach to life that says, it's not about me. So we're going we're gonna to look at that um, this morning in the book of Acts. So Acts 13. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. So, you know, brand new church in the city of Antioch. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who was brought up in the household of, of Herod, and Saul, Saul and Paul, same guy, okay? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting at this church, the Holy Spirit said, probably like, you know, inner voice, probably wasn't anything audible, just something they sensed. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, this is a great model for us to think through as a church because we really want to be a, a generous church. We, we want to be the kind of church that shares what we have, that doesn't spend everything on ourselves inwardly, building up our own little kingdom. And those few verses that we just read tell an incredible story. Now, if you've been keeping up with the book of Acts, and I hope you have, uh, you'll know that Paul and Barnabas, and if you haven't, if you've been slacking, or maybe you're new, two chapters every day from the book of Acts, and you will have read the whole thing in two weeks and be an expert on the early church. So Paul and Barnabas, and, and it's easy to look at this passage and like just 
read right by it without getting the implications, but Paul and Barnabas were two prodigies in the early church. This would be like, you know, this young congregation. This would be like them having like Billy Graham and the Pope in their prime. And they're there. And, and the Bible says that they had these two prodigies, but they said to themselves, you know what? The people out there, far away, need their ministry and their skills and talents more than we do. So let's send them off. Like, we're, we're going to listen to amateur preaching instead of some of the best in the world because they need it more. So they, they, they send them off. And, and I look at that and I think, wow, what an incredible group of Christians. It's amazing that they were so generous that they were willing to take their people because I think it's way easier to send money than it is people, but they sent their ministry superstars out. I'm friends with a guy um, on the east side. There's this church called Momentum Christian Church, and um, their motto is catch and release. And their pastor, Dan Smith, is, is always talking about that. Like Their goal is to train up people to know how to do things that brand new churches need to be able to do, and really encourages generosity and, and financial giving. And then the people that get it the most, he sends them off. I mean, it's mutual. But to new churches that are starting. And he's talking about the, he talks a lot about the pain that they feel when their best people, their most committed volunteers, their most generous givers go. But man, talk about Generosity. To be able to say, we're going to give our best away. But that's kingdom-mindedness. That's like the early church. And that's so God-honoring. It's what happened to start Polaris 16 years ago in 1999. A local church about an hour away, River Tree, sent people and a ton of money, sent it away to Brunswick. So that Polaris Christian Church could get started. And that's one of the reasons that we try to be generous toward other churches starting. And someday, we'll send some of you to go do new things. And that's the most bittersweet thing in the world. But it's so kingdom-minded. Now we're going to continue our kingdom-minded theme, but I want to call your attention to another theme in this section of Acts that relates with what we're doing right now as a church. So Acts 14.23 says this. As Paul and Barnabas are at these new churches, starting these new churches. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. One of the ways that Paul and Barnabas built kingdom-minded churches was to appoint elders to oversee things. And at Polaris, we try to do Bible things in Bible ways. And so we have a board of elders to protect the church, to protect the direction of the church. It's like my Voltron boss. You know, if you remember Voltron growing up, they come together to make an uber boss for me. And oversee um, the church. 
And so um, we are, uh, our process is to bring nominations for, um, well, I'll let, I'll let Mark talk through that. But we have a couple guys that we're going to bring before you. And, um, and I respect these, these men and um, look forward to working with them. And so, yeah, Mark Simonitis, the chairman of the Elder Board. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> standing in and covering the clash and eldering over Polaris, Mark Simonitis. Thank you very much. You know, I realize I never sit over here, and you're a much better preacher when I'm sitting on that side of the church. I just thought I'd let you know. Well, that's my good side. Yeah, that's good, exactly. Well, good morning to you guys. Um, I'm really happy to be up here because we are at a very exciting time here uh, at Polaris. Our church family is growing. Uh, the church itself is growing in our ministries, and it's an awesome thing that God's doing here in Brunswick for us. And uh, because our church is growing, we had to identify the needs of our church as we grow. Obviously, the needs of the church grow. And one of those areas that we uh, identified as a uh, needed growth area is in that of our eldership. And uh, here's a passage from 1 Peter uh, 5. Describes an elder's role in the church. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Elders are called to serve among and provide spiritual protection for the church body, and they are accountable to Christ and his church. They are to provide overall leadership to the church through prayer and ministry of the word. And elders are also set to set the example for all church members by their obedience to the mission of Christ and his church. So I'm here this morning to present uh, two candidates uh, for eldership uh, for Polaris. And with God's word as our guide, the elder board nominates uh, Larry Wentz and uh, Larry Wisniewski as candidates for eldership uh, here at Polaris. And we call them the Larrys because that's probably the first time it's ever happened, two Larrys up for nomination. Uh, Both of these men have been attending elder meetings uh, for the past six months. Uh, They've been exposed to the workings of the uh, elder board, and they've had time to see the hearts of the men who are currently serving. Uh, Larry Wentz and his wife, Debbie, who are here, um, have been a part of Polaris for 10 years. Uh, They attend small groups, and I know for sure you've seen them as greeters out in the lobby. So, uh, Larry and Debbie, if you could stand up just for a second. Just so everybody can see, give a wave in case they don't know who you are. It's amazing how many... How many people here that we don't know that are doing so many things, which I guess is both good and bad because there are people here that serve in so many ministries and so many people have no idea uh, that they're doing it. And I learned a lot about uh, both families as I pursued to find out more about what they did here uh, at Polaris. Uh, Larry Wisniewski and his wife Patty have been part of the Polaris family for eight years. Larry works the welcome desk. He collects and delivers for our Bread for Brunswick drive that we have. Uh, Ministers at Crestview Elementary in the uh, kids' first program, and he also attends small groups. Uh, Larry, number two, not to degrade him, uh, but he's not here today. He's sunning himself in Florida, and believe it or not, he plays baseball, not softball, but baseball. Uh, I think he just turned 61 or something like that, and he's playing baseball, so they're in some big tournament down in Florida, uh, but I'll make sure that we get a chance to uh, have him stand up and wave as well. Um, We believe that both Larry Wentz and Larry Wisniewski possess the qualities of an elder as described in Scripture. They have the desire to serve, they have the heart for God, and the ability to contribute and uh, have extensive life experience that we believe will serve Polaris very well. And we're excited about the current growth of our church and the nomination of both Larry's uh, uh, today. And uh, I'd ask that you, if you have any objections to their nominations, I'd ask that you submit those to, uh, to us in email form at elders at polarischristian.com, and we'll definitely take those into consideration. 
Outside of that, thank you for your willingness to listen to me this morning and uh, for your contemplation on whether these two gentlemen should serve as elders here at Polaris. I think it's safe to say that not only objections, but affirmations will be welcome as well. Is that right? <laughs> okay. <coughs> All right. And just so you guys know, I mean, I, you know, both those guys, um, great families, and I'm excited about the possibilities of, of, of those guys as, um, as elders. So, um, yeah. All right. Back to the idea of kingdom-mindedness. We'll see another amazing example, then I'll talk about Paul's motivation. So Paul, (coughs) (coughs) sorry, (coughs) Paul is in this place called Lystra. It says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. It's a different different Iconium and Antioch than, than what we talked about earlier. And won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city, and the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now, many Jews of the New Testament saw Christianity as a huge threat to all they held dear and sacred. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that these crazies were false prophets destroying the purity of Judaism. And so they did what you did back then. They lynched. They stoned Paul and left him for dead. Now we need to picture this as the traumatic event that it was because this would have been like baseball-sized rocks that they threw at his head. So this was an attempted assassination. I just want to amp that up. That This was not like you know throwing little pebbles to inconvenience kind of stoning this was an attempted murder and they thought he was dead and so they left and somehow he survives it doesn't say that he was like instantly healed he just wasn't dead and they get out of there and they go on to the next place they go on to derby now you'd think that you'd call it quits after that right like give me one good stoning i'm probably I'm, I'm, I'm done with this ministry thing, I think, after being stoned. But that's not what happens. Paul had a trait. He made tents. He could have just gone back to Antioch where he was loved, made some tents, preached on the weekends, taught a Bible study. And nobody would have blamed him, Right? I mean, celebrate his boldness. The dude took rocks to the head. We're good. But here's what we read. They're in Derby for a while. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch different Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships, yeah, to enter the kingdom of God. They went back to the place that stoned them. They went back for more. You look, you say, what's wrong with these people? They left barely alive. Paul was like almost dead. And then he went back 
Well, when we talk about being kingdom-minded, there are two levels in Paul's motivation that drive him. If we say we follow Jesus, and if we as a church want to build this kind of church from the book of Acts, we need these obsessions to be true of us as well. Paul's first obsession in his kingdom-minded way of thinking was for the people out there, people far from God. I'm going to read to you from Acts 17. I love this passage. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aragopagus, something, and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I love this passage because Paul goes to this pagan stronghold. You would not expect to see a Christian superstar (coughs) hanging out here. But that's where he goes because he cares so much about people who don't know Jesus. And he meets them where they're at. He uses things familiar to them to say, God created you for a reason to find him. He hopes that you'll seek for him. He's after you. And he is not far from you. He really cares about people who are far from God. One of the reasons he goes out from Antioch, one of the reasons he goes back to Lystra is because he cares so much for people who are far from God. He is so kingdom-minded. He cares for people far from God. And so just to get real with this, what about you? Are you a kingdom-minded follower of Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, do you, like Paul, try to find ways to point people toward the Jesus that you know? Do you try to do things to get people, even if you're on the bottom rung of the ladder, do you do do things to try to get people on the ladder with you? And eventually that's going to mean that you use words. Like your lifestyle should show it, but also you're going to need to have those kinds of conversations as well. Is there evidence that you are kingdom-minded and care for people really that are far from God? Do you have that first obsession? So Paul's first obsession is for people who are far from God, and he'll do anything to help them find Jesus. We could be nervous 
about talking to our neighbors about our church experience or about our friendship with Jesus, but they're probably not going to pick up a paver's brick and throw it at our head, right? Far less at stake than for Paul. But for Paul, it didn't matter the cost. He was doing it because he cared so much about people who are far from God. Paul's second obsession for returning to those cities and for going out was to inspire, encourage, and care for people who were already Christians. A big part of being kingdom-minded means that this family, us here together, is something worth living for and dying for. This family, this church, each other, is a big deal. The early Christians were all in with each other. There was love and community. They buried each other's burdens. When uh, one was excited, they all were. When one mourned, they all did. When someone was out of line, they kicked each other's butts to produce growth. And when people were growing, they were excited about it and celebrated it. Paul loved these churches. If you read 1 Corinthians, you see that these, these churches that Paul helped start, it was like a piece of him in their DNA. If they struggled, he was in agony. If they did well, he was overjoyed. He lived and died for the community of Christians. And all the Christians did the same. Church was so much more than one hour on Sunday. Than just a service on Sunday to go to and then go home from. Look at Acts chapter 4. We've read this a while ago. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. God's grace was powerfully at work in all of them, and there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money of the sales, put them at the apostles' feet to distribute among anyone who had need. What if that was true? What if they literally sold their homes to make sure that no one was in need because they loved each other so much? Can you imagine being obsessed with a group of people so much that you would consider your possessions theirs? There were thousands of Christians in the church of Jerusalem, but none of them had any need because they shared everything. Paul was right alongside this mindset. This is a kingdom mindset. (coughs) So the first obsession with a kingdom mindset is for people who are far from God. And you do anything. Sacrifice any amount of safety or comfort to help those people know Jesus. And the second obsession was for people right there in the church. And that obsession runs so deep that you own the emotional temperature of the family and you own the relational temperature and you own the spiritual temperature and even the physical needs of each other completely generous completely selfless and open-handed so are you a kingdom-minded christian now if you realize that you aren't some of you may look and say "Eh, not really 
I don't really have any evidence in my life to say that I'm obsessed with people far from God or obsessed with Christians in this church family. And maybe you realize it's time for a change. And if that's the case, it just starts by taking steps. Maybe you don't have a kingdom mindset, but you can take a kingdom-minded step. It starts with inviting a friend to church. Maybe having a spiritual conversation with a neighbor with the goal of taking them closer to God. Maybe it's inviting somebody out there in the lobby over for dinner. This can be a huge step. Maybe it starts with getting to know a few names, like you doing the work, the hard work of memorizing names, because I don't think there's anybody that's good with names. If they are, it's because they work hard to do it. Maybe that's your first step. Maybe it's to say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to make sure everybody in that lobby that I come across feels like a part of this family. It starts with maybe committing to a small group. What's your kingdom-minded step that you can commit to this morning? And I want to challenge you to ask God what that step might be and then to do something about it. So you're sent to your neighborhood, to your workplace, and to your ball team to point people to Jesus. Just like Paul and Barnabas were sent from the church of Antioch, we are sending you out this morning to your neighborhood. And you're also sent to us from God to be a part of our community of believers. We need your A-game to make this place as loving of a place as it can possibly be. Being kingdom-minded means being aware of the biblical truth that God has sent you, he chose you, and he sent you with a mission. And I hope you'll own that. I'm going to pray and we're going to do uh, one last song. And I just, I want to challenge you during this song to own that sentness. Should I stay or should I go? I hope you go sent, on mission, kingdom-minded. Father, thank you for people like Paul who owned the mission who loved people who were far from God, who started churches for people who are far from God. We are here in this place because of that kingdom-mindedness, so thank you. Please inspire us from your word with the desire, the burden, to help people who are far from God take a step toward you. And inspire us with the burden to love everyone here with the depth and breadth of the early church and of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand. We're going to sing this song together.